welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the fifth episode of The Making of Graceland 2, the building that Elvis never left the play making of. Hi. Can we start over? Why? <laughs> I guess that adds to it, but um, you just seemed a little, you know, <laughs> tired. Drunk. You're not drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but I get, I get it. We're both exhausted. Um... So yes, welcome to another episode. We haven't done one in a while, but we've been busy. Making Graceland Graceland 2. Graceland 2. It's been made. Yeah. So, um. It's been done. It's done, did. But we're going to go back in time and fill you in on everything um, leading up to the now, which is a week after our festival shows have closed. Mm -hmm. But we will take you back before then in the midst of all the crazy yeah it was it was quite the journey and i was it would have been nice to be able to document it all but we were we were doing it all this is i guess why people fancy people have teams um we had a team we had a lovely team we had a great team we had a great team but they weren't their jobs weren't to make us podcast oh yeah no yeah no, we don't have a podcast great. team we don't have a podcast right, okay team. sorry i i <laughs> Changed topics, and I wasn't even Yeah, okay. no, our Great. team was amazing. Um, yeah. Um, so I don't even know that I mentioned the team in all four other episodes of this at this point, truth be told. But I was helped in the rehearsal process monumentally by Lisa Kranick and Woohoo! Audra Bryant. Woohoo! They came through like rock stars. Beyond. Lisa, yes, beyond. Mm-hmm. Beyond, beyond. Lisa was my... Um, production stage manager and Audra was assistant to stage manager and assistant to me as director so she got to do both creative and um, practical (laughs) problem solving they both just worked on the things that I didn't have time to do and made sure that I ate and it's the little things that are so big but they kept the engine running and my god I mean y'all only had a two-week rehearsal period yeah. From start to finish, it was two weeks. And, and not every the, day inside of those two weeks. Yeah, not every day. And not every day was a full day because schedules were conflicting, you know, all the logistics. But on top of that, I'm like, how does everyone... I felt guilty at some points as the writer. I'm like, oh, no. Now everyone has to memorize these words, all the words. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry. And those words are your <laughs> fault. I am sorry. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, your first week of rehearsal, everyone, you covered every scene. Yeah, so like, last time we chatted um, to, the, to the pod, um, we were, it was on the second day of rehearsal. So our first week of rehearsal, we did every scene in the original draft of the festival version of the script. So I believe that was 24 scenes. So we did 24 scenes in like five days. Mm-hmm. Each day was like, some of the days were like five hour rehearsal days. Some of them were like four. Um, Basically we had mapped it out to be an hour per scene. Yeah. Yeah. So there were days that we did six scenes in one day and that's ridiculous. There's one day that we did eight. Oh my God. Um, so, but we were able to hit every bit of text in the play in the first week. Think about it a little bit and then come in and try and 
start finessing and start running in the second week. And the second week was when I began rehearsals for the projects that, the, that I was in the following week. So I was either going from Graceland to rehearsals as a director to go be a dancer in um, this other project or going from that project to Graceland too. Um, Which the metaphor that I always like for that is as a director, you are the painter and then performing, you are the paint. You're mm -hmm. being, you know, kind of... A drastically different hats. Right, enough. right. Um, and at first I felt bad because I was like, I am... I don't think that I'm being able to bring all of myself to either one of the projects, but uh, I think that was un unnecessary beating up to some extent, and the other extent it was true to some, but it worked out well. But again, you had a great team, like, and that's when, when we looked at it from the beginning when you got offered the performance job alongside this director job. That's one question I asked you, is can you lean on your team? Because you, we realized with scheduling, you wouldn't be able to be at all the rehearsals, especially toward the end. The end being the weekend before opening night. Mm -hmm. And you were confident in Lisa and Audra. Yeah. Made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and even so, due to some scheduling wizardry and things being in flux over at the other project the same way they were over here, um, I ended up in it at every rehearsal, actually. Um, just not there for all of them, for all of it, but it was there for every one of them, um, which was cool. So enough about logistics, <laughs> which, it, you know, rehearsals are pretty much that. They are logistics um, sprinkled in with a- With playtime. Playtime and a shit ton of talent. Um, and in this case, a lot of soul, a oh, whole yes. lot of soul. Um, but so that was week one of rehearsals, kind of mapping out um, each scene. And then week two is when y'all could finally put it all together. And let me just say, I made a choice as the writer um, to and not producer and producer to not be in the rehearsal room. I didn't want I didn't want to. I might have already discussed that before, but I wanted the director and everyone else in that room to feel like they had creative freedom with it. Um, I felt like I had, you know, interpreted the characters and been with the characters as much as I could and it needed a fresh set of eyes and I just felt like it was right to step back and I'm really glad I did. Hmm. Aw. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I was given a whole lot of freedom. And as somebody who's usually hired as a choreographer, you're, there's one or two things happen um, often. Not every time, because I've been blessed to work with a lot of directors in musical theater. But oftentimes, you get hired as a choreographer, and you're either micromanaged, and the director knows exactly what they want all the movements to look like. And you're like, yo, do you want to make the dances up? Or... Um, they come in and because there's so many dance numbers, they don't actually do the directing, you know, and you just get like, ah, oh, where, where's the line blur? But to actually be just given the room and say, make choices mm -hmm. and know that that's what was expected of me was really great. And I was, I don't know, I'm very, very grateful that you gave me that because I got to just roll with it. Well, my feeling too was not only that did I have enough of being with the story myself, that it needed a new set of eyes and perspective, but... 
this whole festival opportunity was uh, random. <laughs> it was a very random gift. And I felt like it should be shared. But also, you know, this was all a first for me. And it was a first for a lot of folks. This was your first time with a... SDC director contract. Right. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, first time Matt Wood music directed and composed for a play. He's composed a lot before this, but for a play was a new... Uh, a new venture for him. Completely. Yeah. And then, you know, for our performers, it was, I think for a few of them, it was their first performance since the pandemic. Yeah. As um, well as with Matt, like I was asking him the day before our opening performance, before I went into rehearsal, I called him and was like, hey, can you make a track like this in the next two hours? And he did. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, the drum, the like heartbeat sounding drum before yeah. the, the, the big scene, the death scene. Wow. I didn't know that. So yeah, I think it was a first for a lot of people. And I also think it was a big learning experience for a lot of us. Um, can't speak for the talent, the actors, but as far as the crew, um, I think we all learned a lot. Yeah, I most certainly did. Mm -hmm. um, and my lovely team, though when you're working under somebody who has the title of leader, which is what I was given at this point, um, one can be very kind and flowery to that person, but they said very, very kind things to me. So I think they learned a lot. Um, and regardless, at this point, you know, I would use them for anything ever. Um, be hard pressed to find uh, a group of, of women in that field that I trust more than them, which is great. Yeah, well, it, it certainly showed. And yeah, so second week of rehearsal, a lot was happening in the rehearsal room and a lot was happening outside of the rehearsal room at least where I was concerned yeah take it away you've got stories on that <clears throat> I've got a lot down. of stories so while everyone was you know getting the show actually together I was a few things were going on I was getting the props and the costumes and making sure everything was coming in and um getting set on that front but also I had a couple of press interviews, which was new for me. Um, you know, uh, there was a, it was the Daily Journal in Tupelo, which is where Elvis was born. Uh, we made the Sunday paper front page. Hey. <laughs> and then, uh, which they reached out to me on Instagram. The reporter found me. Uh, and his name is Blake. Thank you, Blake. And then... Um, a freelance writer, reporter, Sam, uh, writing for the Daily Memphian, she reached out to me and wrote up a lovely article. Um, yeah, so that was awesome and new. But during all of that, you know, I was focused on logistics and ticket sales and, oh, my God, we're not going to get enough people, you know, all the things. Uh, marketing, trying to push, push marketing. And then... I get a, a comment on one of our Facebook posts, a public comment from Beverly Taylor, who is the sister of Dwight David Taylor, the man in our show, who was killed by Paul. 
Well, the, the man that and the character the, is based off of. Not. Right. Well, and that's the, the distinction, right? So we have the character and then we have the real human um, that it's based off of. And just the distinction is important to make. Um, but I'll get into that in a minute. So, yeah, um, I get a comment from Beverly and she her comment was, I hope and pray um, this isn't about my deceased brother Dwight. And I messaged her immediately because I can understand seeing seeing this and being in shock and not having been approached by it before it's literally happening. Um, yeah, how surprising that would be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I messaged her to explain it as best as I could. And... We had a, a good conversation. I had a phone call with her and Dwight's mom and let them read the script. Um, they, you know, at first, I like any good sister would be very protective. Um, and I, rightfully so, was hesitant. Um, because they didn't want him to be portrayed at all as the bad guy. And... I reassured them as best as I could that he's in no way or written, you know, that was not the, the point of view. He's not the bad guy um, at all. In fact, he's a very talented and in our show charismatic character, but also making that distinction that our character is based on the real person, but he is in no way the real person. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I would have no way to be able to do that. Mm. Um, you know, and I apologized, um, for, I, there was no way for me to know how to reach out to them. And I just wish we had made the connection sooner, but I'm glad that it happened when it did, because, um, it gave us enough time to, first of all, have the tough conversation, come to an understanding, um, Dwight's parents approved after reading the script. They all read the script out loud together. Um, Beverly, you know, once her parents approved, she also uh, liked it and was actually on board. And I wanted to, I wanted their voices to be heard um, and to be a part of it. So the only way I could figure out how to incorporate them at that last minute because we had less than a week at that point was to offer them um, a page in our program so they could tell the audience anything they wanted about their brother, son, uncle. And they wrote a lovely letter that was printed. And um, we also, in uh, his mom chose the organization, uh, the LaVonner's Children's Hospital for us to make a donation in Dwight's name. And so we did that as a production and we also encouraged the audience to do the same. So it turned out to be a lovely um, set of circumstances that I hope can only help heal, um, even though, you know, it's been eight years since the tragedy. You know, these things aren't, they don't go away. The wounds, the time only heals so much. So for it to come back and you see, you know, someone on stage depicting your your family member, it 
is a shocking um, thing, but I, I can only hope, you know, we didn't get to film this production, um, so I can't show them anything, but I do hope that this can somehow make it down to Mississippi um, for them to, to really take part in it in person. But that was a magical moment. Mm -hmm. And we, as a cast, me as a director, I got to go into the week of opening night having a conversation with my cast and being, as a, as a black man directing a show, being able to say we have the, the approval and the go-ahead of the Taylor family. Was, it was a gift. Right. It's the best possible way we could have entered. I knew if we didn't have their blessing, our show wouldn't, it wouldn't have been what it was. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just, you know, if the vibes are off, they're off. And if we didn't have that approval from his mom and sister, you know, once they read the script, they, they got it. Um, so yeah, uh, that was awesome, but also gotta say, I was, I thought I was stressed before. That was a very, it was a very tough conversation, I think, for both sides of the fence. Yeah, um, and we were preparing to change his name in the script, and... That was, I forgot about that, but that was, you know, certainly, I put that on the table um, as a last-minute um, solution, because... I, I get it, you know, if they didn't want his name used, I can't change the story a week ahead of time, but I can change a name. Um, but again, they, they allowed us to use his name um, if it was in honor of him. And we did nothing but do that. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with where we both ended um, on that. But that was, yeah, leading up to to opening. I mean, we had less than a week. Um, and then what, what was next? I feel like there was so much that was happening. Like the weekend before, we opened on Monday night, Monday, May 2nd. Mm -hmm. And the weekend before, we weren't sure if our play hit the time limit. Yes, because it's at a festival. Um, festivals have time limits. Um, we yeah. had 90 minutes. We had 90 minutes to tell this whole story. And all the festival rules said if you go over your, your time, you're disqualified. Well, I just figured disqualified meant you are ineligible for the cash prizes. So I emailed them. We are my God, two days before opening night, mm -hmm. I emailed them and I was like, so what do you mean by disqualify? And they said, um, your shows will be canceled and you have to reimburse all the ticket sales. Well, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't afford that. So we opened Monday, Saturday, I'm sitting there running errands, trying to print the programs. I'm sitting in a parking lot, stealing the Starbucks Wi-Fi, cutting our script down, and emailing it to the cast and everyone before they go into rehearsal that evening. Trying to take 
scenes out so that we are able to make this time limit work. Yep. And we took out we took out our flashback scenes I think on Sunday night. I'd also like to comment that those these flash though these flashback scenes did not make it on stage this time, the actors that do them did such beautiful work. They were amazing and I hope they get to be seen at some point. I wish I could have seen them. Yeah, you never saw it. I never saw them. Um, Sajda doing her best Tony impression was amazing. (laughs) But to me, the flashbacks, they add a layer and they also add more backstory and understanding to the entire piece. So, um, yeah, maybe eventually we'll get to explore the whole thing. But even then, even after we cut these scenes Sunday night we weren't sure if it was going to make 90 minutes no we didn't know and so Monday we had a four hour tech run yeah well we had four hours period and in that four hours we had to because the set pieces belong to the festival and live at the theater so we had actually my cast had never touched the set pieces at all just a couple approximations of hand props so in that four hour window we had to set up the stage with the set pieces for the first time, bring in hand props um, from our personal residence that we brought in with a car, um, <laughs> set and design, set and program the lighting, sound, techie each scene, and then do a dress rehearsal run of the whole show with tech being lighting and audio. Luckily, we're not dealing with mics. Um, the set pieces for the first time be on the stage for the first time using wings for the first time and hand props for the first time make sure that that run happens inside the 90 minute window give them a break because my actors one most of them are union and they are owed that break as well as we were trying to be as kind as we could through the whole process and then do our first show right after so to call it a set or a tech run is like only part of it we were just I was having a heart attack is what it was. But y'all did it. Yes. Y'all did it. And, my God, we barely made it under 90 minutes, but y'all did. The first the first tech run, we made it four minutes under 90 minutes. And then we never went over in yeah. the actual run of the show. Though, in the run of the show, we did come as close to being like 90, or not 90, like 89.5 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we did it. We did it. Because we had a cast that understood the importance and of the rules and were willing to do the work necessary and be team players and team backing us that were just willing to put in the extra work. Um, we were blessed in a lot of instances I yeah Yeah. so many things came up oh yeah we had so many last minute hurdles so many and the one hurdle that I was like please if this one comes up we can't fix it never came up (laughs) and that's if someone got COVID if someone got COVID we would have been done yeah and it didn't happen it didn't happen yes so and actually we found out and let me 
just keep in mind that we love everything about this process and everyone in this process, so there are no fingers pointed. But we found out in the middle of this process, like right before we went into tech, that home COVID tests wouldn't suffice. No, 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 no. Let me just clarify. Oh, okay. We found out less less than 24 hours before our tech run. Uh-huh. We found out Sunday night at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., that... All of our actors, all of our crew needed to go to the booths on the sidewalk of New York City to get a in-person, real-time swab up their nose. Done by a nurse rather than yourself at home. Right. Before the tech run at 2 o'clock the next day. That's insane. Plus, from my point of view, I had spent a good deal of cash on some at-home COVID tests for everyone throughout rehearsals and leading up to this because I knew everyone needed to be cleared before tech. So to find out the night before that, you know, at-home COVID tests were useless in this case, um, I think was a shock to everybody. It was upsetting. But my God, everyone pulled through. I mean, that's... That in and of itself is a logistics-like storm. <laughs> well, you know, like my heart goes out to, and I applaud on in standing ovation, anybody that is producing and creating theater mm-hmm. right now in this, I won't even say post-pandemic, because we're still very much in the middle of a pandemic, but post-2020 world. Yeah. Um, because one, it's hard, because and two, because if you are doing it right which i believe we all should be so it should be hard then you're jumping through a lot of hoops to keep people safe and to get theater up so i applaud you because it was it's not easy and i only saw a small glimpse of that because not only obviously the whole putting up a show side of things the business the logistics of that but there's so many protocols for covid that i had to follow not only for equity, but also for your union, for SDC. Mm-hmm. I had to look at filtration systems at the rehearsal space, at the theater. And yeah, it's just a lot of nitty gritty details that it consumes more time and expense than I think people realize. Um, but it's important. It is. It is important. Um, so yeah, we made it. And then here we are the week of... The performances opening night went well. Yeah. My God, um, I was in disbelief. I remember. I mean, we went back afterward, and I was just like, "How did that happen? Mm-hmm. How did it happen?" My dad came in town for opening night. My was dad. He... No, he oh, came no, in the next no, he day. He came in the next day. Sorry, but to my dad hasn't seen my work or seen me do something since I was in Spider Man. Which has been almost a decade now. Yeah. Um, So that's incredible. We had friends and family flying from all over. Mm -hmm. But I just want to kind of, before we dig into that, because that kind of happened later in the week, I just want to talk about opening night a little bit. Yeah. Because for me, that was my first time seeing it. I hadn't been in the rehearsal room at all. That was my first time. That's right. And yeah, I was just absolutely in awe. Like to hear... The words that have essentially been in my head and the characters that have been in my head 
be very much alive and real and moving around on the stage was pretty damn cool. <laughs> it was cool. And to see how you directed and interpreted, yeah, it was awesome. And I know it was very weird, the two of us, because you were just a ball of nerves that day, which I can't imagine because you had to run sound and make sure everything was running, running, running. And I got to just sit and watch. <laughs> That's what's interesting that like with all of these shows at no point did I get to just watch. Right. And even if I got to just watch, I would probably be taking notes because I am a director or like being somewhat critical. But with this one, I had to have my nose in a cue script every mm -hmm. show. Um, which is great. I still like, you know, we're making theater still. I'm like, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure what our show looks like. Um, well, I, I had the pleasure of watching it three times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, it was a magical, fascinating, kind of very, very surreal moment for me. Um, and Matt, Matt Wood got to be at the opening night. And I cannot forget, oh my God, I can't forget, Tech Run, we got to have a photographer there. Yes. Our, our awesome Memphian, famous Elvis I... photographer, <laughs> airport drama. Yes. So I think two episodes ago, we discussed what was going on in Memphis with Tommy Ka and the airport and his yes. art piece. That artist, that photographer, because... Super talented human. Um, he has done an Elvis series. Um, again, you can see his work in the Memphis airport, but yeah, he reached out to me and, you know, we had a lovely, um, kind of connection before this and then through this. And he offered to shoot, uh, our piece. And the only time the festival allowed photographers in was during the tech run. So he showed up. He shot some incredible photos. He went and got a last-minute COVID test on the sidewalk for us. He did, on the spot. And I feel bad about it, but it's not my rules. Um, anyway, he was incredibly patient and understanding in ways that he did not have to be. And, um, yeah, I, I'm amazed at how much um, Memphis and soul and southernness like came together for this, mm -hmm. but also um, his images got used later in the commercial appeal. Um, they did an interview of me, you, and Matt, and it was a lovely article um, that used Tommy Ka's photos, which because of the deadline, I kind of, I feel guilty. I had to pressure him <laughs> for the images sooner than I think he was ready for, but he, the turnaround was phenomenally quick and he's just incredibly professional so and kind and kind which is so important my god and and not common i don't i don't mean to sound like kind whatever might but. not be common but i was thinking about this though the cast and crew that we had everyone was we had nothing but kindness in the entirety of our team the only drama was actually just acted out on the stage there was no drama outside of mm -hmm. We had dramatic situations. You had hurdles. Hurdles. We yeah. had hurdles, but but everybody approached them with a level head and kindness. Yeah. And and they gave me a lot of grace 
Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting because the whole thing for me, I'm going to talk about myself for a second. My apologies if it's unnecessary, but like the whole, my whole approach to this was I'm going to lead through vulnerability because I've gone through stages where I felt the need to just like make sure that everybody knew that I was new. I knew what I was doing. Um, when maybe I wasn't ready yet. So I, I stepped up to doing this very like open and just saying there are things I don't know yet. Um, and if you guys as people that are on my ship know better, please tell me. Um, I want, these are the things I wanna try and if they don't work or if we find out we don't work, they don't work, we'll change them. Um, and for some, that could just be an invitation to terror somebody in my position apart but everybody was just on board and and they worked really hard for us mm -hmm. and I am just honored and grateful and I think cool. vulnerability can be very powerful mm -hmm. especially as a leader um, but I think how you showed up and how I didn't pressure you to be like stressed about the creative process or you know whatever because that kind of thing can trickle down, you know, if someone's agitated or stressed or whatever, and it can, it can affect everything. So yeah, it just didn't show up in that way. Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like personalities, everyone's personality it just jived. Everything was great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and let's be clear, we didn't always put them in the situations that they would prefer as, oh, as professionals. Right. I'm completely aware of that. Um, but it's also the first time we're producing, so like, they met, they did meet us with grace, but they did not have to. No, there was um, one thing. I mean, I'm sure you saw way more and dealt with way more than I did. But the opening night, you know, I had my programs. We had little uh, goodie bags for everyone opening night gifts, um, and I misspelled or misprinted one of our actors, Neil Magnuson. I messed up his email address and he definitely let me know in a very kind way but my god that's upsetting mm -hmm. you know you work hard you do this for not as much money as you could probably be doing anything else and this could potentially lead to some other job if somebody sees it or want to reach out to you freaking email address is spelled wrong so you know there's nothing I could do that night. I mean, it was happening in a couple hours. I Time was not on my side for that. But I made it a point. I couldn't print new programs either. That costs a lot of money that I did not have. But we, yeah, we went in literally a couple hours before the Friday night performance and taped over them with the label maker. It's little stuff like that, like little silly little things that just kept cropping up like that. But mm -hmm. we we uh, tried our best to, you know, do the what we thought was the right thing um, to fix whatever blunder, you know. But yeah. And you know what? I think it was open or not opening night. I think it was before our final show. Um, I, I walked into the theater and I, I ran into Neil and we were 
chatting for a second and I was just thanking the actors for what they had done. And I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember some of the pretty verbiage where he was just like, you know what, you guys have been really respectful. I love this piece and at the end of the day, I'm in here and I can smell flat black theater paint and dusty overhead lights being turned on and God, I just miss doing this. At the end of the day, this is a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, though it might be weak and in its re-infancy stages, live theater is alive. Oh yeah, it's here. It's here. Um, it's, you know, and as far as live theater goes, that was another thing that was kind of, it was a first for me, but also very odd, is hearing the audience's reactions to certain lines and certain things and deliveries. Sometimes it was fun, and sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> like, if the audience laughed at certain points, I'm like, ooh, that wasn't okay. <laughs> but... So that was, it's fascinating because at the end of the day, the audience is right. Whatever the audience is reacting to, they're, they're the smart ones here. And every audience is so different. Mm -hmm. Of our three audiences, they, they reacted in totally different places. Mm -hmm. And then speaking as somebody who did perform on Broadway, I think I did Spider-Man over, over 500 times. I want to say over a thousand times, um, but I'm not sure. I'm very bad at math, but I did that show eight shows a week or more for three years. Um, and no audience was the same. People would crack up in random places every time and then just be like, whoa. Yeah. Or like that that big moment where you expect everybody to go, yeah, and it would just cricket. Or like, right. you know, every audience. That's the weird so part. It's like first night, I feel like between scenes, we had more clapping and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know what night it was. Maybe it was Friday. It was like, after Chuck's big monologue, there was no clap. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but again, Friday was Friday was our second performance. Um, I had my family fly in. They all flew in. I had cousins from California that flew in. They surprised me. My grandmother came in and surprised me. Your dad was there. Mm-hmm. My good friend Jen and her boyfriend and his uh, mom, they came in from Massachusetts. And then who else was there? My goodness. So many. They just so traveled many. in. and Lots of uh, Memphis transplants that live in New York that are part of yes. our arts circle. Yes. It was um, cool. Cool to feel that kind of support. Um, yeah. I think they liked it. And then, what was it? Okay, so that was Friday night. Friday night was, it started at 9 o'clock, and it was very rainy. So a lot of the folks that had bought tickets didn't come because of the rain, I think. Mm -hmm. And also, I know a couple people didn't come because they were actually still working that late on a Friday. Um, but they had already bought tickets. Um which we appreciate you. Thank you for supporting the arts. But yeah, Friday was a, it was a bit of a more chill vibe in the audience, I feel. Mm. Um, which was definitely a different vibe than our last show, Sunday. 
-hmm. Sunday was our fullest audience. Yep. We had a lot of actors, uh, family mm -hmm. and friends there. And then we had the current owners of Graceland too. And their friends from Holly Springs, Mississippi come, yeah. which was incredible. I think we spotted Marie. Marie Underwood is, mm -hmm. and her husband, Jeff, are the current new owners. And she was wearing, what was she wearing? <laughs> she was wearing... She was wearing an article of clothing that is literally approximated and recreated in our show. Yeah. Like, Paul McLeod had a gold burial suit, a gold jacket that he wanted to be buried in that was his approximation of um, the gold suit that Elvis wore in the, the gold album. The Which we gold have album. the cardboard cutout of Elvis in this suit mm -hmm. on our stage. And I have my mother's copy of that album with that picture on it. and But Marie was wearing the one that Paul owned and wore. She wore it front center of the audience the entire show. And it was very meta and interesting. So you can see Marie Underwood wearing it. Like from where I was sitting in the back, I could see her gold shoulders. <laughs> and then I could look up and see the actor playing Paul McLeod, who was a friend of hers, wearing a gold jacket Oh, wait, hold on. Marie was a friend of Paul's. Yes. Not the actor who played Paul. No. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, no. Marie <laughs> was a friend of the real Paul McLeod. Right. And, he's, and she's wearing the real Paul McLeod's gold jacket. And then there's an actor on stage playing Paul McLeod wearing a gold jacket that's supposed to be that one that she's wearing. You can yeah. see both of them from the back of the audience. And it was just like, whoa. It was, it was cool. Um and there were, it was interesting watching that show with her there, knowing how close she is to the real story. Mm -hmm. There were certain lines and certain things I was mm -hmm. like nervous about. Yeah. Um, but all that went away when I, we got to talk to her after the show and she was in tears. Um, she and said she knew both Paul and Dwight. She did. Um, and the some of the other friends that she brought from Holly Springs also knew Dwight. Uh, like I actually like dealt with him. Um, won't say they were friends, but you know. Anyway, um. Anyway, so Marie came up to us after the show and just said that. Basically, it was the closure that she needed. Um, and, yeah, just very complimentary. And that was my that was my intention with this piece because it's such an unresolved story in real life. Um, and it's such a... It's a tragic tale. No one got any justice um on Dwight's side and no real closure on his side and then Paul him dying I mean he was lonely there there's no family that cared and so it's just yeah um I wanted to bring some healing through this for this 
real story in any way that I could. Um, and yeah, Marie helped validate that that was what this piece did. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was, I don't know, that was everything. Cause I know people might not like it or have questions about it or critiques and like, yeah, sure. I invite all the negative or, you know, whatever it helps build it. Um, but I think having her validation just is uh, hers plus the Taylor families is really all that I care about. Um, for this piece, um, how it is, so. Well, it was, it was interesting, because, you know, our last show was a matinee. Right. And immediately after On that Mother's show, Day. On Mother's Day. Yeah. And immediately after that show, I had to pack up that, I had mm. to pack up the theater quickly. We had 10 minutes, put things away, and then I had to go to rehearsal for the show I'm in. And when I got there, there's younger, a couple younger performers in that show, because um, I've been performing for a while um and they asked how the show I was directing went tonight's closing night and they were very kind and like yay um and I told them about like Marie coming and and the fact that we had gotten in, in or the Taylor family had gotten in contact with us and how I was feeling at that moment before I had to go switch hats and dive into the show the other show and this like young 20-somethings performer performer her name is Cameron she's awesome um was like look at art y'all made something that did exactly what art's supposed to do that's it yeah and I was just like huh yeah like on the simplest form like we spoke to a couple people's hearts we gave some people closure I got to experience something new that means the world to me the people that worked for us enjoyed it yeah um you can't really ask for more past that and yes, I'm a big old dreamer. I'm the kind of person that like sits here and, and dreams about Tony's speeches. Like, mm. it's not my favorite part of about my personality, but it's a thing I do. It's not a thing you do. No. But this did everything that I that making things is supposed to do. Yeah. And if I can continue to make things that do that for the rest of my career, then I have nothing to complain about. It was a pretty powerful, magical experience um and you know everyone after the last show we packed up um everyone kind of scattered we didn't have like a solid plan to like celebrate as a group after you had to go to rehearsal and then everyone just kind of scattered and um I wish that's my one wish I wish we had planned it a little better for post show on the last show um, only because um, Marie and Jeff Underwood and the group from Holly Springs had booked a table at a nearby restaurant and there were there were a couple more seats left I don't know if everyone could have joined but like at least maybe four or five others and they were totally open anyone could come but it was just too chaotic um, and you know, I, I do feel we'll get the band back together um, for a few different reasons. Uh, I think we've got some footage, footage to capture because um, we didn't get any. But yeah, I got to eat dinner with them and hear 
what they thought about the play, but also hear more about um, Holly Springs and how it operates and more about Dwight and his backstory. And then of course, Paul and the plans for Graceland two going forward and the building, not the play. The, yeah, the building, exactly. Um, not the play. I got to hear more about the actual building and what they're doing to renovate. And, you know, the hope is to eventually open it back up. Um, but it will take some big renovations. And, you know, it was a nice way for me personally to end the entire thing. Um, I got some really cool goodies from Marie um, that I will forever treasure. We both, Max and I both got real lifetime member cards from Graceland 2 with Paul's yeah. face on it. And then I got another Graceland 2 shirt. It's tie-dye. And might I add too that all the Holly Springs folks that came were wearing Graceland 2 shirts. So that was really cool. Um, and then what else did we get? We got... Um, a magazine that was Paul's that has Elvis's face on the front, but Paul was very meticulous. So anything that mentioned Elvis, he would paperclip and TV guides, magazines, all the things he would flip through, find the wherever it said Elvis and paperclip it. And so that was one of her gifts to us was uh, one of these magazines. And then at the end of the play, uh, when I guess she approved and liked it, she gave me a pink like sash that had Elvis's signature. Not the real signature, but like a printed mm -hmm. thing. Um, That's what Elvis used to do. He used to like put on a scarf in the middle of his Vegas scarf. show. Yeah. And he would wear it for a little bit, swipe a little sweat and throw it in the audience mm -hmm. and put on another one. That was like one of his whole things. So I got one from yeah. Marie. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was cool, and it, it's one of those things, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but it's one of those things after the show, you're like, it was all this ramp up for this, you know, ener energy was high, it's very, very high, and scattering to get it all together, and you get it all together, and then all of a sudden it's done, it's over, and it's like, where do you put that energy? now you know you did this whole big ramp up and it's done and you know that's one question I kept getting asked what's next what's next I'm like well my head is still spinning from this so Truth. I don't know what's next I don't have a plan really yeah I mean truth be told you know if we had a little bit more money and a little bit more time, we probably would have gotten a whole, not that we didn't, we got people's interest and there are some people that it did come to see it. Yeah. That are powerful people or whatever, but like, had we had more time, we could have like properly invited uh, people that might be able to, more people that might be able to aid in the growth of this. Well, piece that let we've me made. just say, I'm sorry, I did invite a lot of producers. I did. And I got, emailed back you know we're busy blah 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 or the people that I know personally we're traveling hmm. May is a difficult time people are already doing some summer travel so especially around Mother's Day yeah but I'm you know 
sure we could have done more and bigger and all this stuff if we had more everything but that's not to say we didn't try yes um yeah but that that being said yeah now my train of thoughts just gone um it's gone but the hopes is to find some way to move it forward to to put it in front of people in some way that could help grow it so i think that that's going to be um i just kicked her chair and she gave me a look um i think that's gonna be possibly like like radio play versions of it that we can give to people um and i would like to find a way to capture some like b-roll so that we can add to our sort of press kit to sort of show different theaters and different people what this show feels and looks like so well that is the thing that producers who couldn't make it were asking me for specifically hmm. was b-roll footage and that just means we got to put up more costs yeah. <laughs> that we don't have at the moment um but yeah so we got a lot of possibilities but no clear plan at the moment and i think that's fine it's you know being fine with what we just did my god i'm so happy with what we yeah. just did um yeah. but if anybody has ideas or <laughs> thoughts on like ways that you might want to be a part of this particular process or interested in how that you could help us you can always reach out that would be great but in the meantime, we're just trying to dream up new things and then find ways to raise money. Because apparently that's how this thing goes. Um, but, that being said, what we just made, and that came from your head, it was really, really special. It was really, really cool. Well, it came from my head, sure, and I wrote it, but also it wouldn't have happened. It could not have gone to festival if we didn't fundraise how we did. Yeah if we didn't have the sponsors and the support of the community that, you know, $5, $15, whatever people gave, it actually went toward everything we just did. Yeah. And everyone's name was printed in the program. Um, so yeah. So it, thank you. It was from start to finish, just incredible. Yeah. Ah, that was amazing. <laughs> what people can do. Yeah. When people work together. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. If you've listened this far, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that is everything. I think, I think until next time when we have more updates, I hope we have more updates. Yeah, I hope we have more updates. We will have more updates. We'll, we'll do something. Maybe we can even do, do some backtracking and like do a little chat with Matt or a little chat oh, with one of we our actors. Definitely need to do interviews. Um, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And stuff. Do you call them like guests? Like, podcast guests. guests. Or are we going to become something other than just the Graceland 2 podcast? We'll see. Um, but it would be cool to chat with them. Um, yeah. Those of you who have chosen to listen, thank you. Those of you who donated, thank you. Um, thank you, Nico, for letting me direct this thing. And thank you for directing it. Woohoo! We did it. I'm still amazed. If you want to be a part of the Graceland 2, the building that Elvis never left, the play process, then you can contact us and we'll figure that out from there. Follow us on Instagram or 
DM us there, actually, if you want to get in contact. I check that all the time. So mm -hmm. just message me. I'll read it. Is um, there a contact sheet on the Glassable Productions website? Yeah, there's also, but that's for a newsletter. If you want to get a newsletter, subscribe, all the things. I don't want to pitch that. Subscribe now. Follow us here. But honestly, if you want to get in contact with us, just DM. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think, you know, at some point, too, it'd be cool to interview um people that had visited Graceland too. Yeah. You know. Anyway, this this hasn't ended. I don't think this podcast has ended just yet, even yeah. though our festival run has. So anyway, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>